Hello and welcome to episode 178 of Effect New Horizons. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dave. And on episode 178, it always strikes me as, as, as weird just to think 178? How the hell have we done 170? I think you mentioned this last time, but it just it struck me then. 178? Bloody hell. Anyway, on the 178th episode, which clearly isn't a milestone or anything particularly, but it's a lot of episodes. Um, yeah, so we've got uh, a new patron to thank today, which is fabulous. Uh, we've got a little bit of alien stuff to chat about in the world of gaming. Um, you are going to do a follow-up from your piece last week on the future of the Third Horizon after the uh, Mercy of the Icons campaign. And we, uh, we're going to have an interview with uh, a fellow called Josh Parry. And he has done a Cornish Versen supplement. So uh, it'll be really interesting to chat to him about that. And I think the most important thing uh, for everyone to note is for us recording today, we've got a really hard deadline of about 45 minutes. So normally, <laughs> 45 minutes of recording takes us about two and a half hours. So we've got to be really on our money today. Yeah, we, we'll see whether we can keep to that. But this might be the most efficiently packaged episode you have ever heard. <laughs> well, ever heard from us, which isn't saying much. <laughs> from <Maybe>. us. <laughs> yeah, from us. Um, there will be no flab in this. Nope. There will be no flummery. No there will be no trying to find... <laughs> yeah, absolutely none of that. Trying to find alternative words. <laughs> <laughs> trying to show how clever we are by using long words. I, I, I heard a new word the other day, which is lalochasia. And apparently... What, tell me, what is it, that it, word? It means the pleasure you get from swearing when you're a bit grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, think, brilliant. We, we, there's, there's quite a lot of that on this episode. <laughs> yeah, there? exactly. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yes. So anyway, um, seeing we're not doing any ridiculous diversions or or topics of conversation that aren't totally directly relevant to the content of today's episode. Uh, yeah, um, patrons. We have a new patron, don't we? Yeah, Matt? let's crack on with a new patron. Um, we kind of got two, but Dave Thompson um, has been a patron for some time. He's just resubscribed. I don't know why. I think it's an issue with his credit card or something. But <laughs> welcome, Dave. You know the routine. You're on. You're on the Discord already. Thanks very much, but you know, come on, you don't need to keep subscribing to say yeah. Uh, just to get thank you. Just to get us. mentioned on the show every week, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also, uh, Nicholas Butter. Now, Nicholas, you are a new patron, and so this this goes out to you. Thank you so much for Indeed. joining the the Patreon. Indeed. And and please come and join us on the Discord where you can meet Dave Thompson, our other new patron, <laughs> and and lots of other lovely people, and you know play games with us and all sorts of stuff. Yes, um, well, no, we had a very good game. I had a really fun time yesterday playing Tachyon Squadron. Set in yeah, the, we don't need to talk about Tachyon Squadron. Set in the Star Wars universe. Why don't we need to talk about that, Matthew? Which one of our pilots got well, no Because well, no we kills? haven't got time, Dave. We're talking about being really efficient this time. That's, we can't go on talking that's about true. But it is, a, it's a good thing to say, though, because it's the kind of game that if you want to join us on the Discord, you can join in and play, or you can run your own. There's lots of groups uh, doing stuff, and there's lots of new content being made by people who want help and advice and guidance and playtesters, and it's all great fun. But yeah, anyway, so yeah. Out, of, out of our four-man squad yesterday, 
Um, no, it's okay. We haven't got enough time to talk about Tachyon Squadron. <laughs> I think I think Jerry got two kills, two and a half kills. Uh, I got one and a half yeah. kills, and me and Jerry, yeah. the two B wings, we were epic flying in 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 tandem there. Yeah, and then um, uh, Nobble, who's playing uh, what's it Paul. called? A crit. Yeah, Paul, who's playing a, uh, a crit, a, script. a squib, isn't it? Squib. Not yeah, sure. some little. It's a small mousy. rodent-like creature. Yeah. He um. Uh, he got two kills, or two kill, one yeah. kill. No, no, he got one no, kill, didn't he? He only got the one kill. Come on. Yeah, and you were very upset because you'd already damaged that tie fighter, hadn't you? So, um, and you got how many yeah, kills? Did I, you I totally destroyed that tie fighter's shields, and then he swooped in for the kill. Fuck him. <laughs> so that was no. That kills. was my kill. <laughs> that was my bloody kill, Paul. Well, Jerry took one of my kills, so I didn't mind though. Open hearted. No, of course you didn't mind. He's win. the new kid. If it had been Jerry taking one of mine, I wouldn't have minded either. But Paul, <laughs> damn him! Damn him! Uh, anyway, it's great fun. So if you want to come and join us on the Discord, do so because it's a great little community. It's really, really cool. Yeah, it is great fun. Yes. And uh, uh, obviously, Paul, I'm only acting. It's what my <laughs> character would do. That's Tony's line. You can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, only what yes, my character um, do. It's kind of letting yourself off. So the yeah, most it is. Thing. I, I was. We had a bit of a discussion early on. Early on, we we ran a couple of online conventions during COVID, and um, because uh, you know, obviously, people's day to day face to face gaming was um, was being scuppered. Yeah. And um, recently, somebody said, "Well, haven't we done another convention?" And Toby, I think it was from the US, said, "It's because." Every day is like a convention now. You know, we've got so many games being organised <laughs> yes. that uh, we don't need to organise it all on a special weekend or whatever. So, yeah, do join the Discord if you are a patron. And if you're not a patron, come and join the Patreon and then join the Discord. I'd actually like to see more games happening in the States. So there's yeah. quite a lot in the European time zone. And we, we have, touch we base with Australia quite a lot. Yeah, I guess our patrons are mostly European. We've got obviously an Aussie um, and, and a few few in the States, but kind of a handful. Um, but yeah, yeah absolutely. But surely there's enough people more. in the States that they could get together and, and have well, a game in a time zone that's convenient for them. The time zones aren't necessarily that bad, potentially, if you want to do it at the weekend. Because we've had games where mm. either Thomas in Australia has been playing at five in the morning or we've been playing at 10 in the morning on a Sunday or something to make it work. Yeah. And it can work. It does I, work. I mean... We have had Toby join us uh, for for yes. some games. Yeah, yeah. I, I think more Americans could join in, you know, and, and organise games maybe for the American continent. That's what I'm saying. Make anyway, we haven't got time, time to talk about that. We've got to get cracking on. World of <laughs> Gaming, Dave. What's the big news in the world of gaming? Um, well, the big news in the world of gaming is the publication of um, some alien novels, which are going to have adventures attached or related or connected with them i haven't actually read up on it too much um i need to take a look um well yeah i can I, what, what while, while you're reading up on it i can tell our listeners what you're reading um so a few weeks ago actually we noticed or some, one of our patrons noticed that uh titan books uh, based here they're a sort of offshoot of forbidden planet um are releasing a novel called Colony Wars. That's the one. Um, that said, with uh, an adventure for the alien RPG. And we were all kind of curious about that. We were going, do Free League know about this? Ah. Uh, you know, or have these 
publishers just thought they can write an adventure straight away. And I actually dropped Thomas a line saying, you know, are, are you aware of this? Um, he didn't reply, the bastard. Uh, until uh, yesterday when they announced that, yes, it's a joint venture. Uh, sorry, a joint venture. And, um, and Titan Books are going to release three novels, each of which is going to have an adventure in it by Andrew Gasker. Mm. And I'm assuming that adventure is related to the, the novel. And what's particularly interesting about this one, Colony Wars, is it features a British Royal Marine unit. British as in Three World Empire, presumably. Well, so Three World Empire, yes. Sorry, Royal Marines is what I should say. Yeah. So you will be aware, because I copied you in on the emails, that I have invited the author of that to come and do an yes, interview with us. absolutely. That would be cool. Uh, yes, and that's not, that's and, not um, um, Drew Gasker. That's David Barnett, isn't it? So the actual author, the yes, fiction yeah. author, who's, wrote, who's written the actual stories. Yeah, so it's going, yeah. To be, that's going to be really interesting. So I'm just having a quick look at it now on um, a post that Drew's put up on Facebook. Um, yeah, it looks like it's up for pre-order. Uh, I haven't been asked to be involved with it at all, which is a bit... Mm. He says with some, <laughs> some bitterness. <laughs> but you never know. But the thing is, whenever these things happen, they always come to me at the last minute to do stuff. So they might still be intending to get me to come and have a look at but Drew's scenarios and uh, and add my add my contribution. Um, so yeah, it's it's up there on Facebook. I'm sure you can find it all over the internet. Um, but yeah, so you can pre-order the first novel. And yeah, I think are they how many are they thinking of doing? Three was it? Three, I think. Yeah. Yeah. In the initial run, um, um, at least, maybe they'll do more. We'll see yeah. how it goes. And so Drew's Drew's done this... a, a one-act cinematic scenario. That will be in the back of the book. Um, yeah, one act yeah. cinematic scenario. I wonder who invented that format. <laughs> well, I guess Thomas did when he asked us to do a one act cinematic scenario. <laughs> Not sure we invented mm. the format, but uh, we were the we were the first uh, first um, what the practitioners of the format, I guess. Yes, yes, and I think yeah. we did it quite well, um, actually. And I think we did it very well. I'm very proud of our work in that regard. But uh, our listeners have probably heard enough about us harping on about how good our work is. Um, <laughs> no, you can never have enough of that, surely. <laughs> uh, no, no, you can. No, you're right. But uh, but this episode, because we're keeping it really short and tight, I think we will keep that to a minimum and we'll bang on about how good we are at doing stuff in the next episode another shall we time. Dave? okay we can call we, can we, call we could do another thoughts from chairman dave where you you bang on about how good you are about doing stuff again <laughs> yeah we could call the next episode how bloody great we are yeah they're some of our most downloaded episodes <laughs> not <laughs> uh yes right oh, should we move rapidly on then let, let's move on. Yeah, well, let, let's move on to something that appeared, and I think I uh, I shared a link to it on Twitter and on our Facebook page. Um, and lots of things appear in the um, Free League workshop, mm -hmm. but uh, this one I think was particularly close to our hearts uh, because it is Cornish Verson. It is, yeah. And it's a lovely-looking supplement really really nicely illustrated 
And, um, yeah, I think, as I said in our tweet and on our Facebook, if you were disappointed by the amount of Cornwall in the um, pre-release uh, uh, PDFs of Verson, Mythic, Britain and Ireland, uh, you're going to be uh, very happy by, uh, with this because it's all Cornwall all the time. <laughs> Yes. And maybe a bit of Devon as well, but mostly Cornwall. But it looks lovely, and it's got a number of uh, a number of new Verson in there. It's got uh, some, new, some new locations and packed full of really good, interesting stuff. So, um, you know, I think Josh knows all about, uh, all about Cornwall, and he's putting his local knowledge into what is a, a lovely little supplement. So, I'd, yeah, I'd really recommend it. Shall we have a chat about... Uh, Verson Cornwall with uh, with Josh. Yeah, let's do that. So for our player in the Hammam slot today, we have a new friend of the show. Well, I hope he's going to be a friend of the show by the end of this interview, and that's Josh Parry. <laughs> Welcome, Josh. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, now you contacted us uh, uh, a few weeks ago saying that you were about to launch uh, a new supplement onto the Free League Workshop, which yeah. is um, Cornish Verson. And uh, we were really keen to hear about this, so we've invited you on the show to talk about it. But we always ask uh, for our very first question to everybody who's new on the show. Please, can you tell us about your life in gaming so far? Yeah. So um, I am, I suppose, relatively young in the gaming world. Um, I started. Uh, you, can't, in... you can't say that with us two here, who are not young. <laughs> I'm, I'm young. Well, thanks, pal. <laughs> I, I view it. Uh, I view it as a mark against me, not for me, right? <laughs> um, so well, I started. <laughs> I started in twenty about twenty fourteen when I went to university. Right. Um, I started playing with sort of a hack of OD and D. Um, that a friend of mine, you know, kind of said, oh, I was one of the only people there over the holidays with a few others. And he said, look, do you want to get together and we can just play this game? I used to play it when I was in secondary school. My older brother taught it to me, the kind of classic story. Uh, yep. um, and I said, sure, yeah, why not? I didn't, I don't think at that point I had really any idea of what D&D was, although I had been exposed to it through um, video games. I played Icewind Dale 2. Um, and I had grown up really, you know, in the school library playing the mm. fighting fantasy game books and stuff oh, yeah. like that. Right. Um, so although I wasn't exactly familiar with it, as soon as we started playing, I, I got the general idea and fell into, you know, fell in love with it pretty quickly. So, um, then we, the next, the following year, we, we started playing fifth edition and then after that, um, it was a good few years before I played any other RPG, really. Um, but I started off with kind of indie game zines like Honey Heist, I think was probably the first non-D&D game I played. And since then, I've really tried to uh, broaden my horizons. And a large part of that is because in 2016, I started publishing through the DMs Guild. So mm -hmm. at right. that point, you know, I was initially it just started as a hobby. And then um, towards the end of my master's degree, I realized actually I could probably turn this into something full time um, because I'd started freelancing for other companies as well. So 
as that started to happen, I thought, well, I can't just, I, I sort of felt um, a need to broaden my horizons and to broaden my understanding of different game mechanics and, you know, not just settings, and but the systems themselves and understand different resolution mechanics and stuff like that. So since then, I've, I've played a whole range of games and Free League games is kind of some of my favourite ones just because I think they're so easy to pick up and play mm. in comparison to Dungeons and & Dragons. Um, and I think they blend the setting and system so nicely together that it really hooks people in, which is mm. great. Um, so yeah, since then, I've, I've published a couple of things on the Free League Workshop. Um, I've also published year zero engine games not you know as part of the OGL through Kickstarter and stuff like that as well as other random games Ooh. over the years in between so what, what else games. have you published in year zero engine so I published I think for was it last year's zine quest um a game uh called Peculiar Children which is loosely based on the um Miss Peregrine School for Peculiar Children book mm-hmm. um where you play children with supernatural powers um so it's not i would say it's not dissimilar to tales from the loop in some ways um but you know there's a whole new sort of subsystem where you can use your peculiarities to do you know quirky and interesting things and get you out of awkward situations yeah excellent and you said you did some freelancing work uh who's that for is that stuff we might have read so, yeah, I mean, my freelancing started by um, kind of getting paid through royalty splits on DMs Guild for people like Jeff Stevens. Mm-hmm. And then over the years, that progressed into, you know, per word rates for mm-hmm. other companies. Um, and well, now my big, um, I suppose, clients are Lawsmith who publish uh, like Remarkable Inns, Remarkable Shops, that whole series, uh, which is oh, kind yeah. of system neutral um but role very happily into 5e there yeah basically yeah (laughs) Yeah. um and nord games who produce you know 5e content right Mm -hmm. primarily um those are my main clients but you know i i've done a little bit of work for uh jetpack 7 i've done a little bit of work for uh ghostfire gaming you know a lot of the big kind of third party publishers yeah cool so, um, so I'll let you ask a question in a moment, Dave. But uh, I just think it's funny. A whole bunch of questions coming I'm, I'm just, I'm just happy to chip in as we go. You know, <laughs> Matthew, you, you'll, have, you'll have noticed Matthew does like to kind of like hog the limelight a little bit, and he, he does think of himself as Michael Parkinson. I think so, um, <laughs> but that's fine. He's quite good at it, better than me. I can't even do a Yorkshire accent, mate. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so you, you, you explain you broaden your horizons. You, you discover the Year Zero system. Mm-hmm. What route did you come to Verson through? Yeah, so I I think it was through you guys really because I definitely right. yeah, <laughs> I definitely it's all our fault. Yeah, <laughs> I got it either at UK Games Expo or Dragon Meet. I I'm not sure what, a couple of years ago now. I think it was I think it was post pandemic, but I'm not exactly sure. Um, but sort of as soon as I picked up this book I I fell in love with it because it really to me does something which Dungeons and Dragons does not do which is it keeps the monsters a mystery right Mm. Um, and it's not saying you know you are these heroes who can go and 
just smack a giant around the head a couple of times. It's <laughs> it's really delving into the sort of folklore that surrounds all sorts of supernatural occurrences because it kind of spans from the creatures themselves to folk magic, right, in some areas. Uh, and I think a lot of the mystique that they preserve through the system is just incredible, really. So that's why I fell head over heels. I mean, I, I've always been into folklore, um, sort of vaguely academically, I suppose. Uh, and so, so to see it manifested in a way that I really respected in a role-playing game was, was really nice. So it hooked me straight away. <laughs> cool. Uh, don't take this the wrong way, but mm. what's your connection to Cornwall? You don't sound traditionally very Cornish. <laughs> yeah, so. <right. laughs> So I, my connection to Cornwall is that I lived there for uh, the best part of a decade, really, because I, I did my degrees in Cornwall. Oh, nice. So I moved yeah. my, I went to the University of Exeter, but they've got a campus in Falmouth. Mm -hmm. um, so I was down in Falmouth for, you know, my undergrad and my master's, which was um, very long master's. <laughs> it was a really <laughs> master's, so it wasn't your typical one year thing. Um, so, and when I was there, you know, I, I fell in love with the place, you know, I miss it dearly. And as well, it's sort of the, all the kind of folklore around, you know, Cornish mythology. Um, and so I got some great opportunities to work at museums there, um, especially at the Royal Cornwall Museum, which is in Truro, which is just a, a great place. Uh, and, you know, enjoyed visiting places like the Museum of Witchcraft and Magic in Boss Castle and stuff like that. Nice. And, I mean, I don't know if either of you have any spent, spent any time there, really, but you, there's a sort of way of life and a kind of community that it's not that easy as a student to tap into. <laughs> mm -hmm. But once you start to get into, you know, I worked there for a few years as well. So I, was, I became a local, I suppose. <laughs> um, and just that it's got such a rich tradition that I think we've lost in a lot of mm -hmm. other areas of the country. They're extremely proud of their traditions and I don't want to say like holidays but you know things like the um, floral dance and, and stuff like that it's they really take a, a massive effort to preserve it mm -hmm. whereas I think in other areas of the country or at least other areas that I've lived in these things sort of get swept under the rug a bit or just kind of yeah. forgotten or that they're, they're not given the same importance as they are mm -hmm. there um, so yeah that just really hooked me. So I must admit, when so Dave and I got an advanced look at um, uh, the Mythic Britain and Ireland thing and and sure. the map and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and we were a little bit surprised. And I think then when the Alpha came out, a lot of people were surprised that there wasn't much Cornwall in it. Um, yeah, and particularly I remember saying specifically to Nils that there was nothing on the map in Cornwall. And I said, you know, at least put a mermaid down in Cornwall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, so, and you obviously felt that as well, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. So I I think it was just before they released that, the Alpha PDF, mm -hmm. um, I reached out to uh, Graham and I said, that the author, mm. and I said, you know, I've, I'm really keen to kind of write some of my own stuff for the for the Free League workshop. You know, how, how much of the Cornish folklore are you going into? And he sort of, you know, obviously he couldn't give too much away, but he kind of said, you know, there, there's a bit in there. And there, there is, to be fair, stuff like the knockers, right, are kind yeah. of 
well they're, they're mining fairies i suppose but yeah. they have a rich history in both wales and in cornwall and it just so happened that obviously when the um when the alpha came out they have a mystery in mythic britain and ireland about a knocker in wales right yeah um so uh, at that point i kind of thought well if they were if they were going to do it it was going to be there right you know i think <laughs> if there was going to be some kind of mystery based in cornwall or a load of history about cornwall it would it would have been there and it wasn't so i, I then messaged him saying you know i think i'm going to go ahead with this idea i kind of wanted to I didn't want to step on anybody's toes. No. And although I'm not a big fish and he very much is a big fish, I still felt kind of some obligation to mention it at least. Um, and he was really enthusiastic about the, the idea uh, and really kind of spurred me on with it. So that was basically at the point where, yeah, like you said, the, there isn't really any, there isn't much in there about Cornwall. And so I saw an opportunity to do what I was hoping to do anyway. Yeah, I think the... Um... The, the whole project of mythic britain and ireland is so spoiled for choice yeah yeah, um, yeah. that where where do they draw the line and it's um you know, well matthew and i sort of both got involved in it we were able to add some stuff mm-hmm. try and draw it to be a bit less southeast centric as it started <laughs> out a bit yeah, um, right. <laughs> because the southeast uh, and, of course is famous for its folklore well yeah <laughs> Um, and I think it still probably does lean a little bit that way. But I think you know, having the opportunity for things like your version in uh, Cornwall mm. um, is brilliant. And I think just the first thing I would say is uh, what a great job you've done with it. Thanks. It looks absolutely fantastic. Um, I haven't read every single word. I'm not going to read the scenarios because I'm thinking maybe Matthew might run them one day. Oh, right. Okay, um, you're volunteering me for that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, you're you're the version GM around here, aren't you? Okay. So, uh, um, Point taken. But it, no, you've you've done a fabulous job with it. It's it looks absolutely. Thank stunning. you. Yeah. Well, I mean, a, a large part of that, I suppose, is down to the fact that they, you know, freely, very generously give you some layout templates, right, to help mm. preserve the style, which goes a long way. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, I, I worked with a couple of different artists. I worked with someone to help me on the layout as well, even though. You know, even though I'm capable of flowing text into a document, I'm I'm not very good at making it, you know, look proper. <laughs> Widows, um, lining the columns yeah. up, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I did. I think because I'm used to, um, over the years, DM's Guild has gone from being very low production value to very very high production value, yeah. right? Mm. Uh, and I think because I'm used to that standard of publishing now. I kind of had a look around to begin with at some stock art and thought, well, you know, maybe I could throw in some bits here and there. But as I got more and more passionate about this and started writing more and more, I kind of thought I, I want to do it justice. Um, you know, I'm happy to put in, you know, some money to pay some artists well to get it, you know, looking top notch. Um, so I just kind of fell head over heels with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've got to say the art is amazing. Um, yeah, particularly for the Free League Workshop, you know, because the workshop it it's not been around as long as the DMs Guild has, um, you yeah. know, and the people still, you know, experimenting. And um, when you don't know what you're going to get in terms of sales, then um, you don't know how much you're going to want to spend on art. Yeah. It's a yeah. it's a big old thing. Um, yeah. Without, yeah. without kind of divulging too much confidential information. What yeah. was your art budget in the end? So, I mean, that's a good question. I think probably 
it probably ended up being around a thousand pounds, I should right. think. Um, which uh, I'm, I kind of make about that much in royalties off the DMs Guild in a month. <laughs> so for me to do that is not any you know great skin off my teeth. Like I like to kind of recycle the money through the industry. If you see what I yeah. mean. Um, it's nice to have some savings in the bank as well, but mm. because I'm freelancing, you know, it's the DMs Guild are kind of a supplement to my, to my ordinary work. Mm. Um, so if I can use that budget to, you know, hire a decent editor, hire a, a good layout artist, hire some great illustrators, um, if it feels good to do it. And then, you know, like you say, it elevates a product so much. Yes. Um, I think, and again, because this was kind of a passion project for me, I'm not expecting to make all that money back. Um, but it doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> I was just so into it. I just thought I want to do this well. Yeah. Uh, and I'm happy to happy to pay to do that. Not everyone has that privilege. Um, so I think as I do, I might as well use it. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, where on. did you find the artist then? Yeah, so got, the uh, what, artist. Three different art styles here I'm seeing. That's There's right. Yeah. So three artists, I think, are listed, aren't they? Credited. Yeah. It's uh, Tallulah Cunningham, Stephen Belshaw, and Ella Sims. So um, Stephen Belshaw, I worked with before on Call from the Deep, which is like, I suppose most people would describe it as like my magnum opus. It was a, it's a very mm. big um, D and D fifth edition campaign. It's the the one that kind of, I guess put me in a place where people were happy to pay me to write, um, mm-hmm. which I published on the DMs Guild and is still, I think, within the top 10 titles today. Nice. Um, so I worked with Stephen before on that. Uh, he was great then. And I thought I, his art style will work. So he is responsible for the um, player archetype illustrations and also for the um, Spriggan and Bucker in spirit in uh, artwork. I was going to mention the Bucker because that is just a, when yeah. I first saw it, it's just okay. That's good. That's that's frightening just to look at the picture. Yeah, we went through a couple of iterations of it because the interesting thing about this creature is it doesn't really. It, there's very sparse um, information written down about it, especially regarding its appearance. Right. Right. The the one that you will kind of butt heads with again and again and again um, is from. I think it might be Petrel from the 1800s, right? So uh, in terms of being in line with when Basin is like set in its mythic version, it's, it's about right. But really, I've, my understanding from what I've kind of done my research into is that then they were never really seen, right? Right. No one would ever claim to have seen a bucket like mm-hmm. someone might claim to have seen a mermaid, for example. And so yeah. there was no real description of what they were they were more like um, more like bogeymen, right? You, yeah. you know, you would leave an offering of fish on the beach to kind of, you know, calm the seas to keep and the, them away. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what I tried to do with this, and we went through a couple of drafts where it looked slightly more like a mermaid to slightly more like an eel. <laughs> um, <laughs> in the end, we kind of found this uncanny hybrid yeah. um, that I'm really, really happy with because, like you say, you look at it and you instantly think, well, I wouldn't want to see that on a Cornish <laughs> <place, I'm really. laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, and the same with the Spriggan, really, because, because these things come from um, oral tradition, basically, that was only really written down um, at the same time as the Cornish language was dying. 
Mm. I think there just aren't so many sources as there are about, you know, things from other supernatural creatures from other parts of the country. Um, so the Spriggan is said to be a similar thing, most, you know, typically an invisible creature that could command the wind, that could spread plagues. Um, but they're said to be the ghosts of giants and giants obviously being a really massive part of Cornish folklore. And so I wanted to kind of play into that idea that there were these kind of spectral, smoky giants that kind of phase in and out of existence. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I was really blown away by that artwork. And then... Um, Tallulah, I found through Twitter, someone that um, she had worked on a project that I had written for in the past. I hadn't hired her before, but I was very confident that she, her background is in scientific illustration, right? So um, she does a lot of work for museums, um, you know, illustration. So she does a lot of these spot illustrations, like um, That's right. I yeah, can see a signature, yeah. for example, on the coiler rope, but there's um, <coughs> a, a, a fishing bark. Uh, yeah, Yanka, that sort of stuff. That was her. yeah, all yeah. of that stuff. Yeah, and she also did the. Um, there's an illustration of a knocker in there, and there's an illustration of some Cornish piskies in there, which mm-hmm. she did. Um, and then Ella is someone I actually went to secondary school with, and she came to university a couple of years. She took some years out, um, but she actually went to Falmouth University as well to do fine art there. And so I thought, oh, well, okay, is nice. there any better you know link there than that? <laughs> yeah. um, and she, so she did all of the character art for the mysteries. Ah, right. That's her. So nice. Tallulah did those lovely landscapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. Of like Bodmin Moor and the, the coastline at Trivith. They're, yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're some of my favorite, you know, kind of understated, but yeah, yeah. they're yeah. so good. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so she did all the character. And, you know, I'm looking now at, uh, at the non player characters and seeing their mm-hmm. portraits. Yeah. And yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And it all I mean, comes we'll together. Like- so well yeah thanks yeah um ella and i worked very hard as well to try and make it a very inclusive kind of thing because you know this is mythic kerno right and obviously mm-hmm. people from lots of different backgrounds were in cornwall but were probably underrepresented here so we, we've done a we've made an effort to try and include you know people of different racial backgrounds um and, and basically just a whole wide cast of characters because Yeah, even though it's kind of set in what would typically just be Cornish people living in Cornwall, we wanted to make sure that all the players now in today's world felt like they could see themselves in some way in this. Mm, Which is great, which is just great. Um, So, yeah, so you've put a lovely package together. You've got uh, a number of Cornish person, but you've also got how many adventures? Three. There are three adventures in there, aren't there? Three new adventures. Yeah. so it's a great value package. Uh, you're also, in my opinion, charging a right, the right amount for it. I'm, I'm yeah. always <laughs> going on about people who don't charge enough for their yeah. freely workshop <laughs> content. But this is, um, what, what, did, what did I pay for it? 14, uh, 14 think, yeah, yeah. 15 quid, something like that? Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, yeah, again, I think that comes from DMs Guild. There was a, you know, there's been a slow increase on that site of hitting kind of what ends up being a, you know, getting a decent return on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's just something I'm not willing to compromise on basically. No, well, well and, it's, and it's, and it's worth it. It's, it's worth every Thanks. penny because it is, uh, it is excellent. Anyone who's interested, have a look and go for it because it, it's, it's basically packed full of stuff. It's about <laughs> 70 pages long. 
it's, uh, you know, and it's not, there's a lot of, there's a lot of text in there. There's a lot of, you know, as we discussed, there's some great artwork, but it's not pages and pages of artwork where you're not basically making up for a lack of text because you're not, you've got loads of information in there. Thanks. And yeah. it's uh, using the rule of thumb that a friend of the show, Nick Crook, uses. It's uh, 23 pence a page, which yeah. is <laughs> surely, bad, is it? <clears throat> you know, that, 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 that just is remarkable value. So well yeah. done there. Um, I hope it sells like hotcakes. Now, it came out, what, a couple of days ago on the 8th? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I know we promoted it, but have you, what are your initial sales like? Are you pleased with? What yeah, pretty good. I didn't really, I've only published two other things um, through the Free League Workshop, right? So I published um, just a creature for Vason and I published um, a couple of years back, a sort of Christmas mystery for Tales uh, from the Loop. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect, but it was getting a lot of great feedback from, you know, the Facebook groups, from mm. Reddit, um, you know, things tend to get swallowed on Twitter, but actually I was seeing so much of a good response from these other communities that I was really happy. And so it is at number one nice. uh, in, for the hottest uh, community titles from the Free League Workshop at the minute. Uh, and the sales are going going good. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it would be great to see it get a, a bestseller medal. I don't know if it will, um, because I don't know. I don't really know what kind of the audience size is on the free league mm. workshop. I, um, I think you'll definitely get metal. I mean, yeah. we're not seeing now. I'm not sure whether we've got any gold bestsellers yet, but there's a bunch of silver. Quite a lot of silvers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. yeah, yeah. There may be some golds as well. And I can't remember. Um, yeah. Yeah. The community but here I, isn't as large as say the RuneQuest community, which no, seems yeah, to turn yeah. everything there platinum in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, but I think it's more, I think it's probably more of a niche game. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like, honestly, for me, it was just a case of a, really a passion project, right? I really wanted to do it and I wanted to do a good job of it. So mm-hmm. obviously every sale that I get is is superb. Um, but, it, you know, even if it just sells 50 copies, then I know that there's probably 50 people who'll be interested in the next thing that I put out as well, right? So mm. that, to build that kind of community is, is nice. It doesn't have to be, you know, a thousand sales for me to consider it a success. So you're also clearly a, a natural podcaster because you've given us the segue to my next question, which <laughs> okay. is what, uh, have you got anything in the pipeline that you can tell us about? I don't have any free league work in the pipeline at the minute. Right. That is mostly because... Um, I've just taken on another two big freelancing gigs. Oh, nice. Um, I've got a couple of old adventures for um, D&D 5th that I wrote a few years ago and never got published. And so I have kind of either bought back the rights from them or come to an arrangement with the people who never published them so that I could Mm -hmm. get them back. Yeah. Um, And those will go up on Kickstarter. um, Probably towards the end of the year i think maybe um and then because zine quest was moved this year the gen con yeah yeah right yeah uh, i've got something that should be coming out then which is um it's called through the looking glass and it is um a kind of again a kind of a love letter to lewis carroll's world um okay, nice. and it uses in kind of a theme that I've been um, going for, it uses Scrabble tiles instead mm. of dice. Um, 
<laughs> I, I published a game a couple of years ago called Drakkar, which was um, it uses dominoes. It's a spacefaring game. It's kind of like sci-fi Vikings and it uses dominoes. You make different um, rune shapes with dominoes and as the resolution mechanic. Um, and yeah, for Through the Looking Glass, I thought, well, I want to bring in some element of his wordplay, of his kind of nonsensical language. Right. How best to do that? Well, I played around with Scrabble tiles for a bit. And, you know, they've got numbers on them as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I think it works. I think it's odd. I don't imagine it will sell very well. But, you know, again, <laughs> one of these passion projects that I can afford to do because the freelance stuff keeps me keeps me buoyant. Ticking over. Yeah, that's nice. great. I, I, we could talk. I, I, we're going to have to invite Josh back on the show at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe right. you, we, we're going to do an episode kind of about Zine Quest with um, with our friend of the show, Craig. So yeah. maybe we can, maybe we could get you talking about That's your a, Zine Quest projects yeah. then or something like that. Yeah. Well, great. Um, but you, obviously it, it's been really good fun talking to you, but I know Thanks. Dave's wife has a birthday <laughs> today and we're running <laughs> she out of does. time. <laughs> gotta, gotta get the priorities straight in yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> so so yeah. wish jenny happy birthday for me dave and uh, i certainly will and thank Indeed, you I'm, very yeah. much josh for joining yeah, it's us been, yeah, it's been great me. yeah it's been great to chat josh and um well done on the the, the verse and cornwall verse it is stunning i think it is absolutely is i can't think of a better word than that but it is stunning <laughs> yeah thank you so uh, yeah thanks that's why we had to get him on the show indeed Oh, so that was great. Really interesting and, and lovely chance to chat to Josh there. Um, yeah, if you're interested in Cornish Fairson, go and have a look for it on the Free League Workshop. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, and I've got to say, um, Josh... Oh, uh, we'll put a thing in the... We'll put a link in the show notes as well, you were saying. Yes, yeah, that's it. Uh, Josh <laughs> uh, was going to send us a, a free copy, a complimentary copy, uh, but I'd already bought it because um, I like the look of it and Josh had already contacted us about it. Um, and we will link it in the show notes. Um, and if you follow that link, then we get a little bit of a contribution with which we buy people's work on the Free League Workshop. Yeah. So it kind of shifts all the money around. And uh, we occasionally do episodes that are kind of specials where we talk about content on the free league, free league workshop, workshop which stuff, is the yeah. things we have bought so um so yeah use use our link for that and uh you contribute a little bit to our fund of buying other people's work on the free league, yeah so free league you know, you get money get the money working get it moving through plenty of hands get it moving around yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly cool right then so um next we have the continuation of our conversation from last time although um uh, on the, the, the third horizon after the campaign and prior to part three coming out. Um, this time, yeah, so I this guess time, we need to do a spoiler warning again. Is it, is it going to be too spoilery this one? Potentially, yeah. I mean, it depends how spoiled you've been already. But I do mention some stuff that probably happens better to be safe than sorry. I guess, of, isn't it? Yeah. Um, at the end of the last cyclade, which I mentioned in passing, we don't dwell on it too much. But yeah, if you don't want to be spoiled for the last cyclade, you may want yeah. to miss this segment. That, that's out. a fair point because also, if you haven't got that far anyway, it kind of implies what's happened, doesn't it? So it's um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, it, yeah it, right. it, it we does say just, it. Yeah. So, well, shall we say goodbye then? like we did last time, and then we'll stay on for those who uh, don't mind the spoilers or know about it already. 
Cool. And for those of you who aren't going to stay on and listen uh, to the to the Coriolis piece, uh, great to have you. See you next time, and may the icons bless your adventures. Last episode, I looked back at running the climax of the last Cyclade, mostly for people who were approaching their act in their own campaigns, or who had not yet started running it, but had read it. This time, I want to look at the question facing those GMs like me who have completed the written adventure. Where do we go from here? There are other adventures, of course, like The Truth About Station 18, which was originally published in Swedish and translated into English last year by friend of the show and patron Frank. It's available via the Free League Workshop. This takes place in the Rimwood Reach, which is likely where the PCs will have ended up. And it's definitely where my group are. But I have an idea I want to run first, at Jakroom Station. Imagine the chaos at Jakroom after the last cyclade, with ships who are in transit to Coriolis coming there instead, perhaps carrying people rescued from the station or from the destruction in the conglomerate on Kua. The place would be busier than it has ever been, with refugees sleeping rough in the passageways or queuing for food rations. With the bulletin in disarray, people are resorting to messages on walls, pleading for help in finding their loved ones or even any word on their fate. Trust will be low and tensions high after tumultuous recent events. First the hegemony's coup, then their victory snatched from them by the destructive hands of the Children of the Song. People will be questioning the order of the events and who knew what. It's a ripe space for a detective story. So my intuition is to take Yakub and Oshian and their new crewmate Zaki back to their roots as private detectives in a missing persons case. That case will lead somewhere which I'm not going to reveal. But it will be a callback to one of the adventures that they have already had. It will also take them around Jakroom on a sort of guided tour to get them used to their new, if perhaps temporary, while Oshian's ship is being repaired and upgraded, home base. After that first adventure, I intend to send them off around the horizon, witnessing firsthand some of the changes we are told about in the last Cyclades epilogue, starting perhaps with the resurgent Order of the Pariah, at this point, I want to take a few words to say, I called it, I told you the Order were the good guys, the summer before last. I said they were the Horizons version of Starfleet, and you didn't believe me. But now they have the Salam Flotilla, an actual peace fleet. And Jachroom will, I think, be one of the first places they visit. Why? Well, they know more about the mystics than most, 
and although the strike team on Coriolis was kidnapping them, the Samaritans were actually trying to help them. So I think my players might get involved in a bid to set up a new sanatorium. <laughs> Maybe I'll even invite them to join the Salam flotilla. Another change that I want my players to experience firsthand is the change in management of portals from the Consortium's foundation to the Nomad's Kahin. Dave will be pleased to hear that portal fees will be reduced by over 60%. I think it might be fun to be involved in tense negotiations or even an armed takeover of one of the more obstinate Foundation holdouts. One adventure I don't think I would run, but which might be good for crews that lost their ship, is a salvage operation on the Nadir Flotilla. A crew could be commissioned to locate and recover one of those brand new ships, commissioned for the Hegemony's power grab, but never yet crewed. To be more fun, the ship might have an advanced anti-intrusion system and an AI that will need to be convinced to change allegiance. Meanwhile, an Asturban crew might arrive to take the vessel to Amido, the new centre of hegemonic power. I am pleased that my crew helped in a rebellion against the Berbersils back in Emissary Lost. Now, they can see that that mutiny might have been the first spark in a revolutionary fire that is spreading across Kua since the destruction of Coriolis. Across the planet, Zenithians' homes are being burned and they are being killed or forced off-world. It's not a great place to be if you have Zenithian connections. So I'd like to send my crew back there possibly to check on Yakub's family, but also to pick through the remnants of the monolith and better understand what happened. I also want to bring guest star John back as Havima. He had been a Zenithian courtesan in the monolith, but recently became more involved with the Circle of Seekers. I'm not sure what Havima knows of the connections between the Circle and the Santulans. I know for sure that Cade had realised that the Circle were not to be trusted, but I had him killed shortly after that realisation, at the epicentre of the resonance effect that beamed energy and, possibly, Cade's atomised flesh up to destroy Coriolis. Did he leave any clues in the rubble for Havima to find? I ask because there is an interesting mystery that remains unanswered in the epilogue of the last Cyclade. How much does the Church of the Icons know about the Circle of Seekers? The Circle, after all, were among the Church's founders. There was evidence of a schism between the two in the write-up of the Temple City of Lotus, part of the Children are the future mini-adventure in this second book. But now the church is resurgent after previously capitulating to the Zenithians. Will they admit to knowing about the Circle's connection with the Second Horizon 
Do they even know? Will there be those in the church seeking to cut out the cancer at its heart? Or is the church now a willing or unwitting front for the second horizon? My intention is to play to find out. So, what have we got here? Five, possibly six adventure ideas, plus another which I don't think I'll use, but which might be useful for other realities where other crews didn't make such lucky rolls and save their ship. Yeah, I think I have enough to get my players to do while we await Volume 3 of Mercy of the Icons. So I, I think there's, there's, there's something that always struck me about the, uh, you know, the, the extreme events in the end of, of Book 2 with the end of Coriolis, in that not only, like I think I said last time, not only is it really quite a brave thing for Free League to do, but also, it's like okay then. Hmm. You, you, the key thing that that kind of like resonates for the game has been taken out of it. But actually, what what you're talking about here is something I hadn't really thought about, and that's the you know, kind of the post destruction fallout and what actually happens. It's not like everyone just goes back to their day job and goes, "Oh well, oh, it was nice while it was around. Let's go and do something else." Um, and, and the scenario ideas, particularly with Dak Room, I think uh, I think you kind of hit that on the head, and it's it's possibly um, uh, yeah a bit more thrown into sharp relief by real events at the moment, obviously, mm. but actually makes that a much more uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of um, uh, it's not impulsive. Uh, my brain has gone dead this morning. Um, a much more engaging and interesting aspect of the of the world to explore so the idea of ending up in jack room which is basically now a refuge uh, a refugee center effectively um yeah i really like that i think that's that that's really cool because it's showing that the effect of coriolis being destroyed isn't just oh well carry on what's next it is having yes a, it I... is having a huge effect on the rest of the horizon and we should be as players experiencing that effect in game yeah now i think i think this is an opportunity for a great shift in the quality of the game and i remember saying to you um i think last episode in fact that i've always felt that the factions were great wheels which under which player characters were crushed unlike many role-playing games where you're part of the power structure of all those things even though you guys got embraced by um the the leader of the zenith and hegemony you were just always pawns Pawns. in their in their struggle and i feel that you know the the destruction of coriolis is going to open up a realm of possibility for player characters in groups all over where actually you do finally get through your actions to change the horizon to build the new horizon Mm. and so all of these things i felt which were kind of and, and again taking on board what you said last time about how you felt that a lot of this campaign has been quite a lot of being told stuff while other stuff's been going on and not being no involved over, yeah. in it yeah um that this is um 
a really good opportunity. And in fact, I think that these scenario ideas I just briefly sketched out are a really good opportunity to actually be involved in some of this stuff for more personal impact of what's going on. Uh, so, yeah, I, let, let's start off in Dachum. I'm not entirely convinced that that's going to be forever the centre of politics. Anything that takes your ship currently, until you've upgraded it, 40 days to get to after you've come through the portal station, I think that's just actually still too far yeah. away from a portal station <clears throat> to be the permanent sort of administrative centre of the horizon. But then we've got to ask the question, is there going to be an administrative centre now? Or, you know, um, is well, if there is a council of factions, I don't believe it will sit in Dachum forever. Right now, it's a refugee centre. It's a place that have the first, if you like, to witness the destruction of Coriolis and the first place that a number of powerful people have ended up in. Yeah, as long as a lot of very powerless. I, I guess a lot of a lot of people would have fled to Kua somewhere because obviously that's the closest place. It's, you're literally in orbit. Well, yeah, 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 Kua obviously <clears throat> is the nearest place, but there might, um, there might not be a uh, like a centre of power there anymore. But um, no. as you say, yeah, flying forty days or twenty days in a faster ship, even you know, two or three week flight to get to the location. Well, and longer than that, because because you've got to go from the portal to Kua, and Kua's, what, five or six AU away from the start. So actually, you're absolutely yeah. right. It's, this is not going to become the uh, the hub of the horizon. Quite interesting to think about what would become the hub of the horizon then. As a, as yeah, a... and, and maybe, maybe for your players to influence that. Yeah, yeah. Um, or also, is there a risk uh, now that the horizon should fall into another long night, effectively, particularly after your bit about the um, the Nomad Federation trying to take over the control of the portals, um, which I think, again, is quite interesting. So I, so what's happened to the Legion here? Uh, you know, the Legion is, still exists. So the way I read but, it, the Legion have always been effectively mercenaries working for the best playing client. And that Although client they have always generally... been very closely tied to the consortium, though. But only because the consortiums had the money to employ them. You know, they Possibly. remember the the, the Legion are fir effectively first come soldiers who work for the Zenithians. So they're counted as a Zenithian faction, but they're made mostly of first come. <clears throat> so now without that one major client uh, paying their paying their way, um, I, I think they've broken up. They're, they're going to find smaller clients all over the place. They're made. There may be a bit of a long night, as you say, because I think smaller system-wide politics will be looking at them. I, I could even see, for example, uh, the Zelossians, the, the Order of the Pariah, using Legion units against mm. uh, people on Zalos B, who I think, I think we've pretty much concluded now are being egged on by the Nazarene sacrifice. Yeah. So I think we can count Zalos B as genuine bad guys. I mm. always said that the good guys in that conflict were the Order of the Pariah. Nobody believed me, but it's true. It is well, in I my think, canon anyway. I think good guy is probably stretching it a bit far. Not 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 wholly <laughs> bad guy. I think it's probably a fair yeah. a fair way of of cuz cuz they have been kind of painted as like you say as the bad guys. Uh, you know, mm. they're everybody's everybody's favourite 
like nasty, nasty kind of enemy. But actually, as with most things in Coriolis, it's not as clear cut as that. No, no. And one thing I do like the idea of though is um, portal fees coming down. That'll be good. <laughs> I knew you'd like that. Not that, and that's, not, that that's actually... not something I've invented. That's actually in the book. It does okay. say no, they come cool. down to about a third of what they were. So, so I think that's um, fine. I mean, we don't often even bother pay the portal fees. Paying them, we go. We you know we take the risk and we we you know we're good enough to fly through without them. Um, it is a bit of a risk that will come back to bite us at some point. But um, yeah, I mean you know portal fee is an expense. Yeah, you know, on the budget ledger that I could happily do without, frankly. But yeah, yeah so. I, I, I've loved the fact that you've always complained about the expense of portal fees. And, they are, and actually you were wrong you you weren't you weren't wrong to complain about them. <laughs> the <laughs> rest of the world thinks they're extortionate too. There you go. You finally admitted that I wasn't wrong to complain about how expensive the portal fees are. Uh I I never said that you were wrong to complain about how expensive the portal fees are. I just ah, put I just... them there as a matter of fact in the book. <laughs> you see, make, if I'd listened to what you'd them. said, maybe you'd want me as GM to reduce the portal fees, but that wouldn't have been true to the story of the horizon. Ah, now ah, the portal fees are being reduced, partly because of a story that you've been involved in. You should be very proud. And I think there's another story, actually, where you can be involved in reducing the portal fees. Uh, so I, I think that. we will have an Absolutely. adventure where that, where that goes on. I do, um, I do like the idea of um, cycling back to another um, uh, sort of private investigator kind of noir investigation story. I like the idea of that. And uh, yeah, it's also really cool that we've now got Zaki joining the crew because uh, our, our history is quite checkered. But um, I've I've really enjoyed kind of the, the the developing story between particularly Zaki and Oshian, but also you know also yeah. with Yakub as well. I think that's yeah, that sort of earning trust, and I think that's good. And I'd like to, as I say, get Havima back. Yes, uh, maybe when you guys go down to Kua to see the state of Kua, and yeah, I do think there will be refugees going to Kua, but I think Kua will be in chaos for some time. Yeah, and there may be an opportunity for you guys to influence how how the government of Kua uh, takes shape yeah um i'm probably i'm slightly shy of doing that in game in case a new government of Kua appears in the third book that is entirely different from what we've said but um yeah but there it could always have just been an least... interim thing whilst whilst yeah. the new, the new I, government but... is forming itself or something well, I think that's it. I think this this beautiful moment of interim stuff is uh, a great opportunity for people to play. You know, we, we've not run sessions for a few weeks now since the rather unexpected fast end of <laughs> of the book, um, and I, you know, I, I, it's taken me a bit of time to think about the sort of adventures I want to run, and even then, actually, to just jot down a few notes because you know me, I like to run pre-published adventures because I don't have to do any work with them. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah uh, you do, do kind of need to read them first, which would, would, but, would be helpful. Uh, well, that, yeah, they're, they're, sometimes I read them <laughs> during. It's fine. But no. Uh, you know, I think I'm very excited about the opportunity here that with all these interim things, what we decide about whether the council stays on Dachroom or not, it, it could all be replaced by the time of the third book. But we could at least have, 
you know, experimented with different things and then and then said, okay, third book's coming along. Everybody's moving to wherever it says in the third yeah, book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and um, and we can have had fun and built a story around that. So it's a wonderful opportunity. I worry that uh, game mothers might be thinking, well, we're stuck now. We can't do anything until the third book comes out. But I think you should disregard that and say, well, the third book may change what you've said happens, but it doesn't actually change the fact that it happened. No, absolutely. There'll other... be such chaos in this immediate period after yeah. Coriolis was destroyed and the monolith that, um, yeah, all sorts of things would happen before the dust settled. Exactly. So anything, anything goes, I think, for this period. Um, yeah. Cool. That's good. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's... Um, yeah, it's been... I've really enjoyed playing the campaign. Um, so as we've talked about before, I've had a few uh, you know, comments on on how it played and, and, and some of it. But actually, it's been great fun. And the, the characters that we've had come through and join the main group have been all been brilliant to play alongside. Mm. It's great that Zaki's joining us more regularly. That'll be really cool. It'll be great to see Havima again. I mean, there's loads of other characters out there. There's Millie's and Paul's... Um, you know, Nicholas, I'd be like great to, to have get, Nicholas um, back on the back on the show again as well at some point. Maybe yes, with a, a new character, of maybe course. Maybe he can have a character that yeah is trustworthy this time. That'd be cool. Um, <laughs> and obviously, then there's Neil and I mean, my, yeah, I, I'm bound to forget somebody. But it's been great having uh, all all the all the additional characters come through. It's been such a good. I think this has worked really well, kind of as half and half West Marches and not West Marches. Because the thing I yeah. found with ATC is having it fully West Marches, it actually is, it's quite difficult because you don't know necessarily what group of players you're going to get for week from week. Um, and crafting a no, scenario... No, and you kind of have to finish a thing within the time of the session. Yeah, exactly. Because the same group might not be around <clears throat> the next session. Whereas this um, way, where you've got a core of you know two of us, principally now three with Zaki, and you bring in guest mm. stars, that works really well. Because I think and yeah. for a GM, it probably makes life a lot easier. Um, and I might try if uh, if and when I um, resurrect ATC. Um, or what do you mean if and when well, you've got to resurrect ATC? Well, I think I think the yeah. So I I, I do want to resurrect ATC. I'm uh, I, I guess I'll be guided by by you and the other players, but slightly reticent to be playing a bunch of kind of you know Russians right now um yeah yeah might need to well, they're not that. russians they're the upp i know they are but they are basically russians <laughs> um with a few chinese thrown in so that might yeah. be fine that might be fine i don't want to do something that would make me or somebody else uncomfortable no um, no no that is so, a good point actually. so maybe we just pause it for I, I was thinking i could bring it back and just start a new one but make it a a three world empire thing and start fresh um or oh, potentially or we could leave it for a while Wait for the wait for the situation, um, terrible situation in Ukraine to hopefully resolve in some way or another in the not too distant future, um, uh, and then see where we stand then. But I'll be guided by 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 you guys actually, really, about what what we feel is most appropriate. But potentially, mm. I could I could start it again afresh, but do it as a three world empire or as a. I tell um, you what, actually, I'm just having this cr crazy idea of. Starting again with a three-world empire expedition to the other side of the same planet. 
Uh, yeah, it could do. And another colony on that same planet, maybe dealing with some of the old monsters that we've encountered before, but in different ways. And then maybe, if we feel right, bringing the two together in some interesting conflict or in due uh, climactic event. Yeah. yeah. That's not a bad that idea. Could be fun. Although I think what I would probably want to do, um, if I'm going to run ATC again, is, like with Coriolis, the way you've done it, is have a couple of people who are regulars, at least for... Mm-hmm. A period, you know, six, eight weeks or something, or you know, six scenarios, um, and yeah. then have guests come in around the regulars, and we could always swap those regulars around every, every, you know, every three months or something. Could, but just to make it a bit yeah. easier for me, because the thing I found with it before, it it became such an effort. As much as I enjoyed doing the scenarios and writing them, yeah, you know, one like you say, I needed to have them in scenarios that could finish in two hours. Um, two. I wanted to make them intelligent and interesting and, uh, you know, a bit uh, not just go and kill another monster. And that takes quite a bit of effort. And doing that every two weeks when you're not entirely sure what your group of players is going to be always is actually just become a bit too much at the time. Um, yeah. But I think we could probably find a way, like I said, if we have a couple of main stars for each short season, that would make that a bit easier. I think I could do a longer scenario and then let it play out however long it takes that would work quite well yeah or, okay that's a I'm good just, idea uh, yeah go on uh, another idea i'm just going to throw you know we have got all these hms yamato patches we have we we could do something based on that <laughs> we could we could <laughs> anyway um so there we go i think we've just had a groundbreaking announcement of some sort um <laughs> Which a whole bunch of people are going to miss because, of course, they signed off when we said goodbye before the spoiler fest. Or, or we could say now that you're going to think about it for a couple of weeks, maybe do a bit of homework, maybe write an article about what your plans are for colonial adventures going forward. And then that could be a feature of the next week's program, next, next episode's uh, program. You're, you're giving your homework for next time, are you? I am. Do you see how subtly I worked that in there? <laughs> that was very cleverly done. Well done, Matthew. <laughs> I am okay. very clever. I'm just very clever. Um, okay. Yeah, that sounds cool. Uh, I'm, I'm happy with that homework. That's good homework. Cool. Uh, and the other thing I guess we may have, but I'm being very vague about this, is an interview with David Barnett, the author of Colony Wars, Colony Wars, which would yeah. go really well together, in fact, if those two things happen on the same time. Yeah. Um, we just don't know whether Titan Books are going to want him to interview yet, so we're waiting for the yes, okay from them. Obviously, yeah, he may, he may not want to do that, but um, we will yeah. see. Um, but, um, well, he um, wants to. I think he's already said uh, uh, in reply, yes, but I need to check with Titan Books. Ah, okay. But, um, fair enough. Fair enough. So... They um, may have a marketing plan uh, that yeah. we will have to fit in with. Yeah, that's fair we'll see. Um, the other thing is, uh, as you said earlier, we, we, we've got a bit of thinking to do about what we plan to do for UK Games Expo. So maybe we ought to think about that quite soon. And we mm -hmm. might be able to say a bit about that next time, perhaps. Cool. Yes. Top plan. Yep. Good stuff. Right. Well, um. We've we we've we've done this quite well, haven't we? We've come in on time, just. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well done, us. So I think it's probably time to sign off. Unless you've got anything else you'd like to add, Matthew. No. Well, only that it's goodbye from me. 
and it's goodbye from him. And may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music, stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.